that can be um, a huge um, inhibitor or not inhibitor. <laughs> the opposite of that. You know? <laughs> what Hang is on. the opposite? Exhibitor? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> synonym. What is the synonym for? Um, okay. <clears throat> they can be huge conducers of... Um, <laughs> oh <my> gosh, words. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, it can. <laughs> no, I, don't... I don't know if I ended on a sentence. Otherwise, I would just leave it. Oh no, I don't um, think you did. Okay, hang on. Um, they can really contribute to producing a lot of oxytocin and this love hormone in the body. There you go. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 101. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about hormones. To take care of ourselves may be a nice platitude, but sometimes it seems a little bit too vague. How we take care of ourselves can vary depend on who we are, what our personality is, and what stage of life we're in. But there may be a simple starting point that all of us can tune into. And it's closer to home than you may think. Enter the happiness hormones. But first, this podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. How about you? Do you want more from the modern lady? Become a Patreon supporter and for just $5 a month, you will have exclusive access to our sister podcast, The Friday Finishing School. Find us by going to patreon.com forward slash the modern lady podcast. Another way that you can support this show is by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. We are also so thankful for every rating, review, and comment you leave us. Your reviews on iTunes help new listeners discover us. This week's shout-out goes to Elizabeth C 176 who left us a five-star rating on iTunes and commented, quote, These ladies have truly given me a direction during an incredibly transformative, joyous, and equally sad time in my life. Their tips on homemaking, anecdotes on historical figures, and insight into religious life is as informative as it is inspiring. I listen and listen to these episodes daily and find incredible comfort in the overall podcast. I look forward each week to their genuine personalities, soothing voices, and wonderful content. Thank you, ladies, for the time you put in each week to give women like myself not only something to look forward to, but something to indulge in, end quote. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for your message and your review. We were so touched to hear that we were able to journey with you through some important times in your life. And it thrilled us to hear that you consider the podcast something that you can indulge in. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. I was watching a show set in the early 1940s and something jumped out at me. When two couples were being introduced to each other, the men shook hands and the women did not. I immediately googled when did women start shaking hands with each other and found out that there was a lot to say on the subject. So much so that this will become an entire series on women and the handshake. 
Let us first go to Victorian England because that's where most research into etiquette takes us. Contrary to what I assumed, women did shake hands during the Victorian era, but not surprisingly, this bit of human contact came with a lot of rules. For instance, a woman was not to shake the hand of a casual male acquaintance. According to MimiMatthews.com, she should only shake the hands of men who are either elderly or very distinguished. She may make an exception and shake the hand of a man presented to her by a close female friend, for instance, if it was the husband or brother of said friend. And I did read that a female hostess should extend her hand to all of her guests. Another exception would be if after first meeting a man and in talking a lot with him, discovering that they share many things in common, she might extend her hand to him before taking leave of him. According to an etiquette tip from 1881, if meeting in public, handshaking between the sexes was to be avoided, with a slight bow or lifting of the hat taking its place. We turn now to Emily Post, and she wrote that ladies are to shake the hands of other ladies if you were standing near them. Now, I didn't find a lot of information about women shaking the hands of other women between the Victorian age and the 1970s, which might explain why the women didn't shake hands during the show that I watched, which is set in World War II England. When I first started looking into this, most of the responses to my Google search made it seem like women didn't start shaking hands until they entered the workplace in the 1970s, that it was tied to women having to learn to be more businesslike. But we can see now that women shaking the hands of men and women started long before the 1970s. Next time, we will look further into the technical aspects of handshaking. According to Emily Post, no one wants to shake hands with someone whose hands feel like a miniature boiled pudding. So I'm a handshaker and I really miss shaking hands with people during this current pandemic. And while some people are saying that the handshake is gone forever, I'm still hopeful that people will be willing to shake hands once this is all done. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm going to talk about handshaking in a second. I'm just trying to figure out if a hand is about the size of a miniature boiled pudding. Um, <laughs> right. What's the regular size of a boiled pudding? <laughs> Well, thanks. Now I have to research sizes of boiled puddings, Michelle. <laughs> right. Rabbit holes upon rabbit tip. holes. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, but also, yes. So um, at the same time as this pudding rabbit hole, I'm mm-hmm. also trying to go through the Rolodex of all the period dramas that I've watched. <laughs> right. And trying to see if I remember the women shaking hands. And the one that I fell upon in my mind was Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've I've seen Mary Crawley shake people's hands, but maybe again that was more as the steward of her estate once she started taking over. Right, Mary was definitely a bold woman, you know, a little bit I guess mm-hmm. uncharacteristic. That's interesting. Yeah, I'll, I want to think about that too. Now, the one show I did watch that I referenced in here in here was a show that you recommended to us. We have started watching mm-hmm. Foil's War, and that oh, is where yes. that scene happened. <laughs> interesting awesome and a great show (laughs) before we begin today's discussion we want to state that the only purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform it is no substitute for professional care by a doctor or other medical professionals this episode of the modern lady podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional services or advice Instead, we encourage you to discuss these topics and your options with your healthcare provider. In times of uncertainty and stress, it's natural to feel unsettled and out of whack. 
what we need in those moments are often not necessarily ideas or sentiments, but a concrete plan and a toolkit and an intentional approach to countering our challenges. Right, Lindsay? That's right, Michelle. And so the first thing, though, this okay, so we had this whole th- episode planned around this one graphic we had seen online, right? But then just today, this mm-hmm. other graphic popped up all over my feed that actually perfectly leads into the main topic we want to talk about later. And so I feel like we should talk about this other one first. And okay, so many people are sharing. It's just like a simple graphic, which is the definition of a word. And the word is languishing. And it says that languishing mm. is the proper term for the blah feeling and that we are all feeling right now. And that it's the void between depression and flourishing. The post says that languishing is the absence of well-being and that it can dull your motivation and focus. And it goes on to say that this might be the dominant emotion for 2021. Mm. But I feel like if that were just the end of the story... You feel pretty awful after you read that description, right? Like it leads to despair a little Mm -hmm. bit. And so while you and I both agree that it's very important to name things, to identify what an issue is, it's even more important to come up with a plan to try to the best of our ability, right? In our state of life to change things, to adapt and overcome as we've talked about with our previous Mm -hmm. Navy SEALs when we were in our Navy SEALs mood. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be left languishing. And I don't think that our listeners want to just be left there either. And so that Mm -hmm. brings us back to the original graphic that, you know, jumped out at me and the one that we're going to talk about today. So I saw this other one circulating and it broke down the four main mood hormones, I guess, or chemicals. And as you said, you know, in our, in our medical disclaimer, we are not scientists. Um, I dropped out of university in my third year. Um, I didn't even take science beyond grade 10. So I don't know, are they hormones? All of them? Are they chemicals? I don't know. But it's the only way you can describe <laughs> them right now. This simple graphic is just simply titled lockdown toolkit. And there's no other information on it aside from the word sanctus. So I didn't know if I could give proper credit to whoever created it. But Michelle, you found out who created this graphic? Yes. So I found them on Twitter and sanctus or sanctus, as we Catholics would say. (laughs) (laughs) This doesn't appear to be a Catholic organization. I was a little shocked. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, as far as I can see, they're like a startup company that helps employers um, create opportunities for their employees to talk about their mental health. So they share actually quite a lot of really interesting graphics on mental health and talking about it and um, how to encourage this area of holistic health and mental well-being. That's awesome. And sorry, what was the Twitter account again, just in case anybody wants to check it out? At Sanctus. <laughs> That's our Catholic accent. <laughs> I can't say it any other way. No, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> um, so yeah. that's awesome. Okay, so on this very simple graphic, it's just four different squares. And we will also share it in our social media so you guys can see it. But um, in each of the four different squares, it lists dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphin, and how to naturally stimulate and increase these things. So when I sent it to you, Michelle, we both found that these suggestions are just so doable and encouraging, right? Like, I feel like mm-hmm. we can read that post on languishing and yeah, we don't want to be left there. So then when you read these things, we're like, okay, we can actually do this. Even amidst, we are under, I keep calling it like the stay at home, homier, stay home, don't ever leave your house lockdown now that we're in an Ontario. Um, so even Emergency that, break. Emergency break <laughs> because of the inferno uh, is right. the word in Ontario right now. 
uh, of of infection. So, and we're not taking that lightly, guys. We, you know, we just have no. it's our little bit of gallows mm-hmm. humor. It's just how we, it's how we endure. Um, it's how we're coping. It's how we're yeah. coping. Uh, and the other way we're coping is by trying to do the things that we're going to go over with you guys right now. Okay. So we're going to look first at dopamine and I'm just going to read what was on the chart first. So it says it is the reward chemical and some of the ways to boost that are completing a task, doing self-care activities, eating food and celebrating little wins. Um, Michelle, can you tell us more about dopamine? Right. So first, like reading that little square and then looking further into dopamine, I feel like dopamine could be the official hormone sponsor of the Modern Lady podcast. (laughs) Do you feel like all those things (laughs) basically encapsulate our episodes, the general theme and mood, right? Celebrate little wins, eat food. I never linked it. Complete your task. The podcast. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's right. So the official hormone sponsor is dopamine. But the whole purpose of dopamine is to make sure that we get things done. So it's pretty critical to progress when it comes to our biology. It it fuels the feeling that you get when you've accomplished something. So mm. I, I likened it to like when you go to bed at night and you've had that really productive kind of a day mm-hmm. and you just let out that relieved breath. I, I think that is... Um, a tangible description of what dopamine is. Um, it's also, I was listening to a talk by uh, author and speaker Simon Sinek. I think I'm saying his last name correctly. He has a lot of inspirational videos, but he was talking about these hormones and he was explaining that this is the reason why we have to write down our goals because we're visual creatures. And when we see what we've done and then we can see that we've checked it off, it gives us little bursts of dopamine when we see that progress and that is what motivates us to keep us going. So, you know, it's really associated with learning as well, with memory. Um, However, it it can be highly addictive, right? So we hear about dopamine in the other context as well in terms of nicotine or alcohol or gambling or our phones. Um, The addictive quality are, you know, sustained dopamine hits or searching for dopamine. So, you know, even targets and getting praise at work, this keeps us susceptible to wanting to maintain the high of dopamine. But what it really comes down to, I think, is that it really creates this feeling of accomplishment. And because we are who we are as humans, it's just deeply satisfying for us. Oh, yes. It is essentially a chemical neurotransmitter that transmits signals between your nerve cells and the brain, right? So like what you're saying, it's going to create this Mm -hmm. communication chain of, uh, you know, stimulation or anticipation of something and then reward that back and forth communication. And so if the things that you're rewarding your dopamine, like you're getting that dopamine rush from aren't healthy things, um, it will Mm -hmm. continue to build that pathway. So one of the things that's really interesting is I came across something called the dopamine diet and it was on a pretty reputable website. It was on the BBC uh, website, bbcgoodfood.com. And so they talked about how, you know, a bunch of foods can really help increase our dopamine levels. Now, 
our bodies need protein to survive and protein is made up of amino acids and our bodies have 23 different amino acids, some of which can be made within our own bodies. We have the capability of producing those, but some of the things we have to take in from food that there is no other way to get it. Now, two of the amino acids that can be turned into dopamine are tyrosine and phenylalanine. <laughs> that's the best <laughs> that's going to get. <laughs> pretty good. Hashtag not yeah. scientist. Um, and <laughs> the, these can be found in foods naturally occurring in foods like turkey, beef, eggs, dairy, dairy products, uh, soy and legumes. And they actually on that diet, they actually re recommend like, you know, foods rich in omega-3 fatty acids like fish and bananas and almonds and walnuts too. So all very healthy foods. Now, mm -hmm. apparently a diet that is made up of very yummy, um, but unhealthy foods like sugar and fatty foods, and I'm talking about bad fats here, um, they do impair that dopamine pathway, like what we were talking about when you're, you know, create an unhealthy addiction, they can actually impair it, it blunts the response of the dopamine. And that that makes us crave more of those foods and then leads to overeating. And speaking about food mm. as well, probiotics. You and I have talked about those on several different episodes. Um, mm -hmm. It's trendy, as we know from our spring trends <laughs> episodes, but both in 2020 and 2021. Um, but scientists actually have identified a certain spe species of gut bacteria that also can produce dopamine. Hmm. My favorite thing about dopamine and food, this made me laugh so hard because this is so me, um, is that we get a dopamine spike when there's, quote, a sudden availability of food. Like, <laughs> I could just, you know, you, you know, your kids when all of a sudden you're like, come up for a cookie out of nowhere. And the mm -hmm. look on their face, it's like that sudden availability of food. It's it totally causes an actual chemical reaction within us. Hmm. Oh, that's so interesting, especially the connection between unhealthy foods blunting. Mm -hmm the dopamine because that makes so much sense when you know and I know we all go through phases where we're not eating the best mm -hmm. and in particular I think about like that week between Christmas and New Year's yeah. where we all just say like we're feasting we're celebrating but by I know for me by the end of that week I feel sluggish I feel lethargic I don't really have the motivation or the intent like the inspiration to get up and get things done and I really wonder if it's more chemical like it's something going on in my brain then that's linked to the foods that I'm eating that's limiting that hormone that I need to get up and maybe get some things done Totally. And I mean, there's a whole other discussion and we might've touched on this in our very first season when we were talking about keto and fasting. Um, but there's all these things about satiety hormones too. Like you will never be satisfied eating a bag of Oreos. Even if you eat every one, it never mm. fulfills that satiety level within us. You never go, that's enough. That's, that's enough Oreos. You eat them until you're sick or you right. have to push them away. Right. There's never, that's not the same as when you eat mm. beef or turkey where you've had enough bites. You're like, that was good. That was good. That was good. I'm good. I'm full. It's that different kind of brain connection for sure. The other thing I loved about dopamine is that it's released when we anticipate happiness, when we anticipate it. And I realized that with these mm. continued lockdowns, that we don't have a lot of things happening that we can get excited about, right? All of the fun things we would normally mm -hmm. buy tickets for or go and do or vacations or all of these things. There's almost nothing to anticipate because it's the same old, same old. And this is mm -hmm. why I 
am reminded again and again and again, and we've done so many episodes about this, including our recent one on simple parenting about like how important it is to just plan something and it doesn't have to be complicated right back to like a movie night, Mm -hmm. a candlelit dinner with your spouse. Um, uh, One of our listeners and friends, Anita does fun baking contests with her kids. Um, Just planning something because I didn't actually realize the chemical connection between anticipation and anticipating something exciting and how good that feels. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. Okay. So the next square is oxytocin. It is the love hormone. I have to say it like that. The love hormone. <laughs> and you get those, uh, that feeling a little boost with that. Uh, you know, this is from their chart, uh, playing with a dog, mm-hmm. listen to some music, do something nice for someone, give a compliment. Yeah. So oxytocin, uh, and I don't think there is any other way to say the love hormone, (laughs) except in that way. Right. (laughs) Um, But it is, it's the chemical that releases like the feelings of love, of trust, of friendship. It's kind of that feeling um, that like someone's got your back Mm -hmm. type of security, right? And that safety you get from that. It comes by a few different ways, like what you were mentioning with the the list, like physical contact, um, either with a pet or your children right. or your family members. <laughs> Humans, yeah. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> and I know you, you've mentioned in past episodes that it's, um, there's a huge surge of it in childbirth. Yep. And um, it also, you can get it by acts of human generosity. So even yes. I was thinking back to our episode on the corporal acts of mercy, they can really contribute to producing a lot of oxytocin and this love hormone in the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I'll jump to the, you know, women's bodies and oxytocin because you mentioned that. And we've actually talked that before. I think it was in our women's intuition episode. Um, but mm-hmm. I remember going down quite a rabbit hole with that. But yeah, oxytocin is released during labor. It's the chemical hormone that softens the cervix and it is released during breastfeeding. It is like the truly the love drug that bonds mother and child. So yeah, we are social creatures. In fact, I was listening to an interview that you sent me, Michelle, um, that was Dave Rubin Mm -hmm. with Bishop Barron and Rabbi Wolf. And the rabbi pointed Mm -hmm. out that in Genesis, we see each stage of creation happening and then the words, and it was good, right? And, And God saw that it was good. But the first thing that wasn't quote good was uh, in reference to man being alone. I mean, that was the very first thing that was said to us. That wasn't a good thing. And so that, you know, the rabbi was referencing the lockdowns about this and how truly devastating it is that people are really on their own. So I really believe true that this is one of the saddest things that's happened over the last year is that absence of touch, right? Like grandparents not touching their grandchildren, Mm -hmm. But worse than that, the people who are living alone or in care homes and not being touched. Um, Michelle, did you see that picture that circulated? And I know everybody had the best of intentions, but it was those surgical gloves filled with warm water that they put encased a human hand in who was like, you know, unconscious in the uh, ICU. I mean, the nurses and medical team yeah. were doing the absolute best that they could do with the restrictions that they had. But man, if that doesn't sum up this last year, seeing mm-hmm. that, and that that's the comfort, the only comfort that person yeah. could get. Yeah. It just really was this reminder about how, yeah, we were not created to be alone. Yes. That lack of human uh, contact with mm-hmm. one another. Right. And you're right because you can say it um, and even come at it from theological perspectives, scientific perspectives, but what we've 
gone through this year is the actual experience of a lack of human connection. And we, we understand now, (laughs) I think on a very much more visceral level, uh, just how critical it is. And I was actually really interested to, I hate to throw just another hormone in here, but bear with me for a second. Um, the the effects of cortisol mm, right and yes. this is the stress hormone it's the one that you know gives us the fight or flight instinct and is designed to keep us alive so it's very very important but the problem is that we were not meant to live in a prolonged state of cortisol release yeah. which is i think what we're maybe starting to feel the exhaustion of at this yep. point yeah But it causes all kinds of problems to get all that extra energy to prepare us to fight or flight, right? It shuts off other parts of our bodies to get that energy. Uh, For example, the immune system, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I thought was problematic Mm -hmm. (laughs) given the circumstances. (laughs) And cortisol inhibits the release of oxytocin. Mm. And so when you were talking about that, how necessary oxytocin is, how deprived of it we may have been this past year, and then add on top of that the feelings of stress, it just, even from a scientific or a biological perspective, you can see how a balancing of all these different concerns might, you know, need constant adjustment and recalibration. um, Because, yeah, the effects of it can spiral. Now, on the Plus side, thankfully, it you know, this was also from the Simon Sinek talk that I referenced earlier. He mentions that cortisol can be overtaken um, through cultivating oxytocin and then serotonin, which we'll talk about in a minute too. So by actually trying to incorporate more of those acts that will induce oxytocin, even if, as we say, you know, fake it till you make it type of thing, to a certain extent, that might actually work to relieve some of the stress and to therefore cut off some of the cortisol and give the oxytocin more of a chance to replenish itself. Okay, that is so fascinating because even though you threw me for a loop here, adding in another hormone, Michelle, with cortisol, um, what I do know about cortisol (laughs) is from my own previous journey towards health and that I carry stomach weight. And I don't know if people know this, but Mm. stomach weight is a direct result of cortisol. And it is actually protects the organs like you're going to be attacked by something. It's like this body is under constant stress and attack from like lions. But for me, it's just, you know, life. And um, so then it's like protect the organs, grow a belly around it. And so um, I think that it it is a a really hard battle for a lot of people to lose that that most dangerous weight, which is your stomach weight. Um, And so to know that I can kind of override that by kind of faking it till I make it with some extra oxytocin, that's fascinating to me. Um, I am not a hugger. I am not by my very nature, a physically affectionate person. I am married to a hugger. Mm. It's been 21 years of him trying to hold on to me as long as possible. (laughs) I try to wiggle my way out. Um, but I, and that actually concerned me when I had children because I thought I am not physically affectionate. Now, 
as I've talked about many times mm. that those kids breastfed until they were, I don't know, in preschool. So I ended up having a mm. lot of um, physical contact with my kids. But I think this whole thing is fascinating about like, if we're, if we're releasing too much oxytocin with our babies, are we then, um, you know, going to kind of shut off when we get touched out, then do we shut ourselves off to our spouses? And I mean, this is right, right which then can cause more stress. And like you're saying, it's all of these things that just work all together, these building blocks. Um, yeah, again, we're not scientists, but I find this absolutely fascinating. Yeah, for sure. And then like even to bring it back to these tips that were in the original graphic and the mm -hmm. original post that we're playing off today, right? Even I find it interesting, like even um, besides the physical affection aspect of it, even something like giving a compliment right, <laughs> to somebody or it, it says here to like listen to music, it can release um it can release the hormone, which I find really encouraging as like a first step Yeah, <laughs> if you're maybe not so much of a hugger right. or maybe if you're just so stressed out. I know I've been there where I've gotten myself kind of worked up into such a state that I can't really jump right into the warm, fuzzy feelings yeah. <laughs> of oxytocin, even if I am trying to fake it till I make it. <laughs> and so just to, even having like smaller preliminary steps to get you there it is encouraging like our bodies are designed uh, I was reading somewhere that all of these hormones all the hormones and these are just four of them um, they're designed to get us working and operating exactly the way we're supposed to in right. every situation yes. so they're going to help us we uh, you know uh, I think in the mo in most cases we won't have to fight too too hard to get the hormones where they need to go. And then um, research and medicine medicine being what it is, they're finding more and more ways to assist getting all these things back to where they're supposed to be as well if you need a bit of an extra boost. Yeah, with that like biohacking. There was actually some music playlists. Mm -hmm. So if you like look up, um, you know, music to help increase oxytocin or music to help boost your hormones or actually people have compiled lists of music that they have done scientific studies on that can do those things. Even if you need to reduce your stress and reduce um, cortisol, there's, um, I forget the name of the song, but you can, you guys can find it. It said it reduced like in 68% of women, they became drowsy in the first two minutes of listening to it. Like it relaxed them so much. So yeah, music has a huge mm. role to play. And then what you were talking about with compliments, I read too about the role that social media, when used well, right? When there are people that you're mm. close with, um, every time you get a like on a post that you've done, that actually is a little boost of oxytocin. Obviously that can go, become dangerous territory uh, in terms of addictions mm. or when people say something not very nice on social media. But yeah, that that can actually be an oxytocin boost as well as getting those little likes, the little you know hearts on your posts and things that you share. Okay, so the next one is serotonin. And on the chart, it says that it is the mood stabilizer. And it recommends meditating, running, sun exposure, walking in nature, swimming and cycling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what I found really interesting looking into serotonin was that it's really linked to this feeling of uh, pride, like the good kind of pride, I guess, mm -hmm. affirmation and um, status when we have achieved something. As social beings, you know, we, I think we have a need for community and the affirmation of other people. So this makes a lot of sense. The example that I came across would be graduation ceremonies and why we have these huge graduation ceremonies, as opposed to, you know, it'd be just as easy and probably far less trouble and expense to just email your diploma in an attachment to somebody. <laughs> 
And yet we still have these big graduation ceremonies because we like to celebrate the things that we've achieved. But what I find re- found really interesting was the link between um, your feelings of serotonin surges and taking this context of a graduation ceremony, then the impact that your own surges of serotonin can have on other people that you have a relationship with. So they were saying they're doing studies. There was a study done that uh, when you say receive your graduation diploma, the moment you receive it and then subsequently you feel a surge of serotonin, your parents, your teachers, they also get a little surge of serotonin watching you. Um, achieve your accomplishments. So I love that it reinforces relationships. Oh, I love that so much. I That all makes sense. And again, it's just lending itself to this idea mm. of community and of family and of being there for each other. Um, I, this is incredible. So yeah, I read that it is a reward chemical, like what you're saying. Uh, now I read in solutionpsychology.com.au <laughs> that our brains release serotonin when we feel respected and appreciated and as a reward for strength mm. and assertive behaviors. I mean, those four words, respected, respected, appreciated, strength, assertive. Um, it, mm-hmm. It's just an awesome. I really think that this is such a neat out of all of them, I find this one to be incredibly motivating. Um, the other thing was that leadership, having chances to express yourself uh, and u- utilize your skills and talents in a leadership role really gives you a boost of serotonin. And the one thing I was reading was really suggesting that this is why it's so important that we give our kids tasks to do and that we give them a chance oh, to yes. prove themselves. And I'm going to say in brackets mm-hmm. here, our husbands too. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Suzanne Venker's podcast that we've mentioned and just about, you know, Mm -hmm. how to treat our husbands better and how they want to feel like we're not looking over their shoulders, being critical of everything they're doing as well. And we have a tendency to do that with our children as well. But now that I understand the chemical boost that happens when someone um, does a task that they had to do on their own, and then we show them appreciation for it, that they get this huge flood of serotonin. And I want to give that to the people in my life. Like I want to give that and encourage that in my children and husbands. So I thought that was really interesting too. Mm-hmm. That is so important because often it can be easier to just do tasks ourselves mm-hmm. and then we get all the serotonin right. <laughs> and the dopamine. Right? <laughs> I'm a serotonin um, hogger. The- yeah. <laughs> All right. for me. <laughs> Hoarder. Hoarder, yeah. <laughs> but that we can be um, generous and we can actually have the opportunities to cultivate these very helpful, useful, and boosting hormones in other people, mm-hmm. which I think is so incredible that it's so linked. You know, when you talk about your hormones, sometimes it can sound very inward right. and very um, individualistic. But I think we're seeing here is that so much of your, you know, we'll call it quote unquote private hormones um, are actually really critically linked to other people. And even looking at that list on the on the post that we're going to share when it talks about meditate, mm-hmm. what I equated that one is to prayer, yeah. right? And I thought of that even in relation to God and how we can, you know, establish this relationship where even just knowing who he is, who we are in him and how we're made, <laughs> how he created us can really boost this feeling of affirmation from the source of the best kind of affirmation, the never ending kind that you'll always get. 
Yes. I looked into prayer as well and I found it actually, there's so much, way more research done in terms of prayer and what it does to our brains than I could have ever imagined. And I would love Mm. us to do an entire episode on that. But if you think about combining then like sun exposure, so being outside in the forest and a walk in nature and prayer, like those three things together. And like you said, having, placing Mm. yourself in relation to God and into his creation um, and just being able to place yourself in there and realizing that interconnectability of ever the interconnectedness of everything. Um, that even if you aren't surrounded by family and friends during this lockdown, just understanding still your Mm -hmm. place in this world is really, really important. I did read a study that showed that, okay, so they have proven that serotonin and dopamine are released when someone prays. And there was Mm. a study done that it's not just a temporary uh, change that there can be permanent brain changes when someone prays. It can physically change your brain forever. And we know, so if you're listening to this and you're not a believer, like I wasn't for so long, um, you know, we know that prayer changes us, not because we're asking Mm -hmm. God for things, but because it changes us that it, it just, the act of prayer actually transforms us in its very act, uh, as we build a relationship with God, but also become disciplined in, in doing something like that. There's so many benefits. So yeah, when I started looking into that, I'm like, yeah, Michelle, this has to be its whole own episode. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's when we cut off a certain rabbit hole and we just put a pin in it and know that we'll just come back to it with its own brand new episode. So that's on the list. We'll come back to that later. Good. (laughs) So the last one is endorphin and they call it the painkiller. And you can stimulate that with laughter. It's called laughter exercise. Um, You can watch a Mm. comedy, dark chocolate or exercise itself. So Michelle, what else is going on with our endorphins? So it was surprising that there, I didn't personally find a lot on endorphins, mm-hmm. um, except for the fact that its purpose is to mask physical pain. Yeah. Um, and they use the example of runner's high, which made me think of you yes. and all the running that you're doing, uh-huh. that you feel fantastic because of all your endorphins. But I don't know, like uh, a few hours later or so when the endorphins run up, wear off and you feel the stretch of your muscles right? That's when the stiff muscles come in and the aches from the exercise, which are, which is good. But just the recognition that the endorphins were the thing that was making you not feel that initially. Mm-hmm. Now, the one interesting thing from the list that I did find was I was interested, we hear this often about dark chocolate. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to look more into that because we have a lot of kinder surprises here from <laughs> Easter. At my house. And I'm like, well, does milk chocolate count? Because I do like Kinder Surprise chocolate as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And researchers have found that, unfortunately, it is specifically linked to dark chocolate that releases Mm. endorphins. And the reason for that is because it's tied in with the cocoa uh, or cocoa. I don't know exactly how you say it, but that is what releases endorphin. Cacao? Mm. Oh, three (laughs) Three ways of pronouncing it. But did this study, I'm just wondering, Michelle, did this study take into account that there are little toys that come with the Kinder Eggs that you can play with? (laughs) Did it not take Um, out? Is it just all about polyphenols and fancy dark chocolate things? Or you get toys. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> the toys might release some like dopamine, but I don't know if the toys will mask pain. <laughs> right. Okay. Like chocolate will. <laughs> right. So, so maybe there's multiple hormones being taken care of in the Kinder Surprise toy. Um, but yeah, so the more cacao that's found in chocolate, the more likely it will have this effect on our hormones, releasing the endorphins. So the problem with milk chocolate is that they just add more sugar and milk and it dilutes the amount of cacao that's in it. So the less dark that it is, the less effect that it will have on your endorphins. Mm. Right. So it is released when we are about to experience pain, when we're anticipating pain. So that's so fascinating to me, just like dopamine is released when we anticipate something exciting or happiness. And it releases this one is about when we're about to feel pain. And the whole purpose is that if we are injured and we know more pain is coming, this flood of endorphin masks the pain mm. so that you can run away, <laughs> so that you can right. get out of there. Um, mm -hmm. And that is, I think, what happens during running and stuff that um, so that you can continue your workout, so that you continue pushing through. Um, I've never actually Googled how long the runner's high lasts for. I do want to know because I ran oh, hours yes. ago and I still feel fantastic right now. So another thing about exercise, though, is they really talked about endorphins being released during group exercise and working in rhythm with others can boost it. So researchers in 2009 found that rowers who rowed on a team had higher levels of endorphins than those who rowed alone. Uh, they also mm. talked about dancing or dancing in a group or like a group workout class um there's also something about the repetition and rhythm of certain exercises even running does that running is literally a rhythm you get into with this repetition right it's a very different type mm -hmm. of exercise it, it, it's those factors that cause this release of endorphins that is fascinating once again the communal aspect of your hormones mm -hmm. right it it seems like you can get them um, on your own, but they're, they just get better when yeah. you seek them out with other people. <laughs> yes. Now we have been laughing a lot, which is what we do because we both love laughter and we know that laughter does trigger this as well. And we did a whole episode on humor, right. And laughter. And I don't yes. remember if we had this information in that one, but I read today that children laugh on average 300 times a day and adults only laugh about five times a day. And right. Sad. Oh, yeah. Sad. Not mm. my house. Um, but I did read this really great quote from the website rd.com and it said, laughter is sometimes described as inner jogging. Research has shown that it can help to lower blood pressure, reduce stress hormones, boost immune function by raising levels of infection fighting cells, release endorphins, the body's natural painkillers, and produce a general sense of well-being. Inner jogging. Isn't that the greatest thing? <laughs> That is the greatest thing. I've been uncertain about um, exterior jogging, but inner jogging, <laughs> I, I can wrap my mind around. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm very fit in terms of inner jogging. Yeah. And if that no, is great. Yes. And if jogging doesn't appeal to you interiorly or exteriorly, um, I did read about the effect that um, scent can have that vanilla and lavender both release endorphins. And according to a study mm. that was done by Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, patients who were having MRIs, they had them breathe vanilla scented air before they went in for their MRI. And they had 63% less anxiety than those who breathed unscented air. So that can really help too. Wow. If we really, again, if we're talking about just starting at the very basics, putting on some music, lighting a candle, the very basics, those, you know, go to turn to your vanilla mm -hmm. and lavender scents. 
And you know what? I I just need to say, like, in this overall conversation, just about these four, four hormones. And I, I was watching in one video where he was saying, at any given time, you have about 50 different kinds of hormones <laughs> all mm. working to help your body function. Um, I just kind of look at the human body as this amazing marvel, as someone who isn't a scientist, as someone who isn't super into biology during normal times, you know, and I'm just in awe of how we were created so intentionally, like every detail, how small is a hormone, but how powerful it is in directing our thoughts and our moods, how we function, how our bodies stay alive in a lot of circumstances, how they interact with other people, how they interact with other parts of the body, like how intentionally we were made. And I'm, I'm just absolutely in awe that we were created so intricately and so balanced, it just blows my mind. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? So I just binge watched something very unique and actually not very suitable for binge watching. Um, in fact, in a recent mm. article, the New York Times, that okay, they just published an article that marked the creator's death back in January. And they said that the show is meant to be watched every seven years and not binge watched. But I like a challenge and binge watching something was the mm. challenge I needed. So I, uh, I did this. <laughs> so Michelle. On BritBox, there is a documentary series that has been called the most noble, most remarkable, and most profound documentary ever. And I kept skipping past it, and I finally decided to try the Up series. Have you seen that on BritBox? Oh, yes, I think I have. It has its and whole like own you, category. I just kinda, yes. Oh, okay. The, yeah, I just kind of glanced past it, but... Yeah, no. tell me about this. Okay. In 1964, 14 seven-year-olds were chosen from different classes and backgrounds, and they were interviewed about their lives. The premise is based on an old Jesuit saying that basically says, show me the boy at seven and I will show you the man. And it was supposed to provide this window into the lives of these British children, exposing class differences and how education can impact children's futures. It was meant to be a one-off and no one really could have predicted the massive response to that first program. And so every seven years the original director went back and filmed these kids at 14 21 28 all the way to 63 which was just filmed in 2019 uh-huh a few of the kids Whoa. didn't want to participate at every age and one did drop out of the filming at 21 but most stuck with it or returned after skipping an age now i was hooked immediately and maybe it's my obsession with reading census reports as you know i love to check in on strangers on census reports <laughs> over the years and my obsession with the like everyday lives of average people but this was so mm -hmm. up my alley i don't know if it'll attract all of our listeners but as I say, it was meant to be watched every seven years. And so a huge portion of each program um, is, is really taken up with footage that you can skip past. That's just repeating to catch you up on who these mm. kids are. Right. Um, they mm. could have never predicted that we'd have these streaming devices where you could binge watch this program. So a lot of it is just showing you yeah, as they were growing up and you can skip uh, fast forward as you get forward in the years. Um, but they did have mm -hmm. to refresh viewers right on these kids backgrounds and on their lives every time. So to have this glimpse into the lives of everyday people, to watch them age, to get married, some got divorced, to become parents and grandparents, some struggled financially, some struggle with mental health. It's a very intimate thing. 
And most of the participants had this really like strong love hate relationship with the program and with the narrator and the director who again, just sadly died uh, just in January of this year. Mm -hmm. But word on the street is that the rest of the team that's been filming these since the age of 21, the team has been together since 21. It was only the director Mm -hmm. who had been there since the first year. Uh, They're happy to go on with one more. And most of the participants have said that they'd be fine to do the one at 70. And they said that it would be really neat to have closure to go from seven to 70. So, you know, fingers crossed they produce one more. But yeah, again, it's on BritBox and it's either called, it's called two things, Seven Up or the Up series. Oh my goodness. As you're talking, I'm just feeling shivers uh-huh. running up my spine. Like the fact that they would be willing to film at 70 just to yes. complete that circle. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness, that's so tidy and so fascinating to watch a life, yes. essentially. And it really just Very cool. reinforces the dignity of the individual lives of a hidden life, which mm-hmm. we keep talking about as well. And it's just mm-hmm. like the everyday lives, right? And so just to have this window into it and to really explore a system of education and class system that we don't know in Canada. It is very different in England. Right. Um, and so to have that that look, I think it's so up your alley and just know that you can fast forward as you get through the, you know, episodes as they get older. Mm-hmm. But um, I was watching it by myself and I think it was around age um, in the 40s where Jason came up and he was finally like, okay, I'm in. And he had to see it right mm. through to the end and he was just so blown away mm-hmm. by it as well. So yeah, the Up series. Very cool. And what have you been loving this week, Michelle? So I just finished a novel called Beneath the Scarlet Sky Mm. by Mark Sullivan. Now, this novel is about 500 pages long, and I finished it in less than a week, which, as many mothers of many will know, is a testament in and of itself of how captivating a book is. Uh, But it's based on the true story of a young man named Pino Leila, who lived in Italy during the Second World War. And it's the story of his coming of age in the midst of the horrors of fascism and the Nazi occupation. So I loved reading about his bravery and his courage, but also his interior conflicts of, on the one hand, fearing that he wasn't doing enough, while also struggling against being very afraid (laughs) because of the real fear that was present in his everyday life. So it's, you know, part adventure story, part historical, part romance novel, all wrapped up into one book. And my favorite part of it would be probably near the very beginning, so it's not giving away anything to talk about it, is when Pino is sent with his younger brother to live at a school run by a priest in the mountains bordering Switzerland, uh, right at the beginning of the war, and how that experience and what they did while they were there truly was what formed them from naive boys into strong and courageous men. So I really, really enjoyed that novel. It's called, again, Beneath the Scarlet Sky, and it was written in 2017, so a a fairly recent novel. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Thank you.